0: I follow a lot of pastors, theologians, authors and teachers on Twitter. It's one of the reasons that I continue to stick with this social media platform, despite some of its issue. Uh, Rather than wait for some books or articles or an interview to be released, what's cool about what happens on Twitter is that people tend to release their thoughts as they're processing them. Now sometimes that gets people in trouble because they maybe share some things before they thought it all out, but that's a lesson for another day. Uh, Today I want to go to one of those authors who shared some thoughts that I think they were thoughtful about. Something that they said that really resonated with me And help me think as we went into this week of this teaching series. Uh, That author wrote this, and it was so huge as I was preparing for the final weeks of this series. This author had this to say about the Bible. And as you will see, how this uh, thing that they said about scripture really resonates with our teaching today. Listen to this. It says, I'm deeply grateful that scripture is not a collection of sanitized stories of holy people. It's rather a collection of stories of ordinary broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness outside of themselves. Now, I want to read that again. This is the tweet. It starts here. I'm deeply grateful that scripture isn't a collection of sanitized stories of holy people. It's rather a collection of stories of ordinary broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness outside of themselves. Now, if you've heard me talk about the Bible and teach about the Bible, which if you've been around the Southeast for a while, you've heard me uh, say things like this. You'll know that this tweet resonates with me and how I try to get us to understand the scriptures. One way of saying this is that the Bible didn't fall out of the sky and land on your grandma's coffee table, bounded together, perfectly wrapped in a cover. The Bible instead is a collection of songs, history, stories written over hundreds of years in three different languages by at least 40 different authors. And I want you to hear that again, that the Bible is a collection of songs, history, stories written over hundreds of years in three different languages by 40 different authors. And what's amazing about it is that the way that it came together, as people began to see that this uh, collection of stories, this collection of history, this collection of songs and poetry, that there was something about these books. There was something holy and special. There was something about the way that they spoke to who they were written to and the way that they continued to speak to people through what was written and through the unified story as they came together. It's really incredible when you think about it. And yes, there are other books written by different authors and other uh, texts that we find scattered around. But what we find is that these books, these collections, that this had something special, something powerful, something holy about it. And one way to say that is that the holy we find through the words of these scriptures and through the stories, more importantly, of the stories of the people in these scriptures. That what we find is as we look at the people that that wrote and the people that are written about, that we find the way that God's holiness and righteousness worked through these people. We see this coming together. We see the incredible story it's telling. This truth is so illustrated so clearly in the encounters Jesus had with people as he invited them to believe, to follow him, to trust in him and who he was and what he was doing. And so, so we see this in the scriptures. We see this idea that the, 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 the scriptures is this, is this collection of stories of ordinary, broken people loved by God. Let's break that down. Ordinary, broken people. But ordinary, broken people loved by God, made holy through righteousness outside of themselves. Again, we see that from the very beginning, we see that in the middle, <laughs> we see it in the stories of Jesus and his encounters with people. We see it in the disciples that he called to follow him. We continue to see that in all of us today. But as we continue this series, I want to go to those encounters that Jesus had with his disciples. Again, ordinary broken people. Sometimes we look at these disciples. We've placed names in front of them like Saint Peter we put saint john we put with these ideas and we lift these characters out of the story and we make them so much more than they are but they are more than who they are because of god's holiness and god's righteousness working through them but the reality is that they were ordinary broken people loved by god made holy through a righteousness outside of themselves one of those people was named peter We read about Peter last week, and in that story, we found the disciples of Jesus gathered together after Jesus' death and resurrection. As we come to this story, twice Jesus had miraculously already come to them to invite them to believe that he was no longer in the grave, that he had been resurrected, alive, and made through God's power. Now, I want you to imagine what that must have been like for the disciples. What was it like for the disciples as they saw their teacher, Their friend, their savior coming into the rooms as they gathered where they had been mourning his death and then recognizing this reality that no, he was no longer dead. He was alive. And not only that, he had been resurrected. He had been made new through God's power, prepared for heaven, but present with them in that moment. What an incredible reality. What an incredible thing to wrestle with. And imagine what that must have been like for them to process that reality that Jesus is alive. Now, all of us have been invited to process that. As we celebrated on Easter a couple of weeks ago, we didn't just celebrate a date on a calendar. We celebrated a reality that is true in our lives here and now. It is not the celebration that Jesus was resurrected. It is the celebration that Jesus is resurrected. It is not the celebration that Jesus was alive, but that Jesus is alive. The celebration of Easter is that he was resurrected, is resurrected, was alive, and is alive today. He didn't go back to the grave, he continued out of it i have a friend who's in the holy lands and they visited what could have possibly been uh, the tomb they don't really know they're not sure but I, i loved what he had to say this week he said i don't know that this was the actual tomb of jesus but it was an empty tomb and that makes me think that it must have been the tomb of jesus and and in that statement is this truth that we believe that the tomb is empty that he is alive, that he is resurrected. And all of us are invited to believe that. And part of belief is wrestling with what does that mean? Not just is that possible, anything is possible with God, but what does that mean? What does it mean for this world? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for us as people who follow him as Lord and Savior, our risen and alive king? It means we don't just follow teachings. We don't just follow words on a page. We follow a king who is alive and speaking to us and working in and through us. That is an incredible reality. That is why we gather. That is why we are called to be the church. Because of the resurrection power of Jesus is working in and through me and in and through you, in and through us collectively, and there is nothing that God can't do through a group of people who believe in the resurrection power of Jesus. If we were together, I know my friend Kurt would say amen. He's probably doing it right now on his couch wherever he is. I bet he just said amen, and now I can hear his laughter, and he's saying amen again. I just know it because I know him so well, but there is power and truth in that, and the disciples had to wrestle with this wrestling with these questions. What does this mean? Now, it's really amazing because as we look at the disciples, we see that they were ordinary broken people called out of regular lives. They weren't the smartest in their room. They weren't the teachers. They weren't the priests. They were everyday people called by God, called by Jesus to come and and be a part of what he was doing as he called peter he called him off of a fisher uh, 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 off of a boat as a fisherman and then peter we find in those moments where he's asking those questions contemplating what does this mean he goes back to what he knew he goes back to that boat he goes back fishing to that very familiar place and in that moment he met Jesus. Now we looked at this story last week but I want to see how this story from last week continues on into this week. It's the same story I told you we're going to look at over a couple weeks. So let's begin and see what happened is this very ordinary broken man goes back to the thing he knew to wrestle with the questions of what does it mean that Jesus was resurrected. It says this in John 21 starting in verse 1. So as Peter wrestled with these questions, and not catching any fish at all, (laughs) you wonder if he's saying, "I can't, I can't catch the answers to these questions. I can't catch any fish. It just sort of all seems to be a mystery right now." Into that confusion, into that chaos, Jesus showed up. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, "Friends." haven't you any fish no they answered he said throw your net on the right side of the boat And you will find some, and I love this idea that they're yelling back and forth from the shore to the boat, close enough to the shore that Jesus can answer, but far enough that they can have this conversation. So I want you to imagine this is that not just, don't just read it, but imagine it. Friends, haven't you any fish? You know, and them yelling back over the sounds of, of the morning of the galls of the, of the, of the waves, you know, right? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And I imagine as he said this, he probably said this as loud as all of these other things that they were saying to each other. As they are yelling, don't you have any fish? No, right? All of a sudden he recognizes it's Jesus. He looks at Peter and it's the Lord! Like, imagine the excitement, the moment. Imagine what they were feeling. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. For he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, last week, we talked about Peter's reaction here. The moment that he recognized Jesus, he jumped in the water. He, he didn't wait. He simply jumped and swam to shore. The others were patient. They stayed in the boat. They, they, they waited, but Peter couldn't wait to get to Jesus. Peter wanted to desperately be where Jesus was. Now, this is a fascinating story for so many reasons. But maybe nothing is more fascinating than a focus on Peter. See, if you go back and read the story, it's a bit surprising that he's there at all because Peter not long before this, had actually denied and disowned Jesus. So, So we have these disciples, we have them on this boat, we have this moment that Jesus is calling out to them, that Peter sees Jesus in all of his excitement, he throws his cloak back on, he jumps in the water, swimming towards Jesus as fast as he can. But if we look at this text, if we know the bigger story, if we know what is around the story of Peter, if we looked at his timeline, if we were writing the story, we would say, wait, 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 stop it, wait a minute. Why is Peter even here? Peter swimming to shore as fast as he can is also the same Peter that seemed to be running away from Jesus as fast as he could that the, the, the Peter who couldn't wait to get to where Jesus was when he saw Jesus arrested, when he recognized the reality of the crisis moment that he was in just, just a few weeks before, had gone the other direction away from Jesus. Now he's claiming Jesus as his Savior, his Lord, running to the resurrected Jesus before he had walked away in shame, denying disowning, that he even knew who Jesus was. Now we find this story in several different places in the Gospels, but to recount it, let's go to Mark's telling of it. So we're in John's telling of the good news of Jesus. We're in John's telling of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to switch over to Mark, who also wrote about Jesus. And in this story, we find Jesus gathered with the disciples prior to his arrest, his crucifixion, and his death. And in these moments of peace, with the worth the wor- excuse me, the worst yet to come, Jesus said this. Listen to what he said. He says, You will all fall away. Jesus told them, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now we find different tellings of this, but in those different tellings, we find this, that Jesus is explaining to them, telling them, when, when, when push comes to shove, when the crisis moment hits, you'll scatter. You'll fall away. You you will run in fear. Now, on Easter Sunday, we talked about that. We saw that the disciples were in fear, gathered together in a room, afraid. And imagine hearing this from Jesus. After years of following, he gathers them in this room. He insists that when the crisis hits, which is yet to come, when he's arrested, when, when his life is on the line, the pressure is on, that belief will fall away that they will fall away from their faith. Now, look who objects the highest. Look who objects the most. It was Peter. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Now, listen to that declaration. Even if everybody else falls away, I won't. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now that last verse gives me a picture of the room. Because it's Peter who first shouts out. I think everybody's sort of in a moment of shock. What did Jesus say? He thinks we're going to give up? After years of following, we're just going to walk away? No. wonder if they're whispering each other. I wonder if they're just kind of looking at each other. And Peter yells out, no, I won't. The rest of these guys might, but I will not fall away even if I have to die. I wouldn't deny or disown you. I love that it says, and all the others said the same. After Peter objects, everyone else objects. It's like they were all waiting for Peter to go first, and then they all sort of nod in agreement. It's like Peter is the one who says, no, no, wait a minute. I would never, ever do that. And all the others go, no, neither would I. Looking at Peter they're, they're amazed at his, his faith and his belief in that moment. So I think that's why as we continue reading this, the story continues to follow Peter. It follows Peter when Jesus is arrested. It's Peter that we see what happens when crisis comes. So we read on it. It says, while Peter was below in the courtyard. So Jesus gets arrested. He's taken. Peter follows in this moment. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants' girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't understand or know what you're talking about, he said, and went on into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses. He swore to them. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So there we have it. The story of the denial by Peter. When the worst came, when crisis hit, when pressure was on, Peter denied and disowned his friend, his teacher, and his Savior. Peter wasn't perfect. Not even in the slightest. But the mercy and grace of God is perfect. I want you to hear me say that again. We see in this story That Peter is not perfect. But the mercy and grace of God that is given to Peter, is given to us, is perfect. In the rest of this story, we see that mercy and grace. And an invitation to believe that that mercy and grace is possible for you and for me. So... Now that we have seen Peter stand up and say, I'll never deny. Now that we have seen Peter do exactly that and deny and disown Jesus, we return to that beach where we found the disciples with Jesus. Peter just finishing that swim to shore, finding Jesus sitting by the fire. Now all of us wondering, what is going to happen? I can't believe that Peter is even there in that moment after what he did to Jesus. What is Jesus going to say? The tension begins to raise in the room as we think about this. He swims to shore. He finds Jesus there. What's he going to say? What is he going to do as they are alone, as they're waiting for this boat to come to shore? I think Peter knew something we struggle with. Jesus' love, mercy, grace are more expansive and indescribable than we can ever imagine. Look what happens in this moment. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. I wonder if he stopped in his mind and thought, you know all things. You you know what I did. You, You know that I denied you. You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, as I read this this week, my eyes kept coming back to these final two words, follow me. In these two words, follow me. Jesus is telling Peter and telling us that the act of repentance is found in the invitation to follow that peter in all of his guilt in in all of his shame in in all of this recognition that he had denied and disowned jesus wrestling with the turmoil the inner turmoil of all of that i just wonder what did that feel like and what is he thinking and what is he contemplating in that moment And that jesus says these two simple words to him follow me says do you love me do you love me you wonder what he's going to say how are you going to repent how are you going to make it up to me what am i going to ask you to do and he simply says follow me repentance is found in the invitation to follow the experience of his unconditional love then is only dependent on us accepting it. Do you see that? The experience of his unconditional love is only dependent on our accepting it. Again, it's an invitation to follow, an invitation to follow his love, an invitation to follow his grace, an invitation to follow his mercy, an invitation to follow his teaching. It's to that truth that we come back to these words in what it all means for us. I'm deeply grateful that scripture isn't a collection of sanitized stories of holy people. It's rather a collection of stories of ordinary, broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness outside of themselves. Now listen how that author and pastor completes this thought through the lens of Peter's story. He says this, Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? three times after the resurrection, is one of the most beautiful acts of restoration. The three questions cancel out Peter's three denials, and Jesus sends him on his way. Listen how this author continues saying this. He says, like Peter, I've denied Jesus plenty of times. I have in word and deed distanced myself from his love and teachings. I have denied him through prayerlessness, apathy for the poor, and clinging to the words of others instead of his. Like Peter, I am filled with contradictions. But the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus comes and invites me to confess once again my love. Jesus doesn't need to confess his love to Peter because it's never wavered. But in asking Peter to confess his love once again, He offers a way to live free from self-condemnation. What a beautiful way to describe this redemption story. And like that pastor, I'm so thankful too that scripture is a collection of stories of ordinary broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness outside of themselves. But I'm equally as thankful that God's church, you and me, humbly exploring the way of Jesus are also ordinary broken people loved by God and made holy through a righteousness outside of ourselves. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that? Do you believe like Peter that God's grace and mercy is big enough for you? Do you believe that redemption is possible in your life? Do you believe that no matter where you are today, God isn't finished with your story? That his love for you is waiting to write an unwritten chapter as you follow him? Now, I I get it. When I ask those questions, some of us nod our heads yes. I believe in God's love and grace. I believe in his mercy. I believe in His invitation to follow, and I will continue to follow Him. And we are stepping with confidence, being made righteous by His holiness. But others of us may be treading softly. Maybe we're not sure. Maybe we're struggling. Maybe over the past couple years, we haven't put our full trust in Him. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you felt yourself even taking some steps backward from faith. A little bit unsure of what to do next. And my invitation for you is to step forward. To follow. To have trust. To believe that His grace and His mercy is big enough for you. That my friends, we can be holy. We can be made righteous through him. But it's not dependent on anything but us accepting his love and following. And what would happen for you? What would change in your life and your family if you would choose today to humbly follow the way of Jesus? Now you may say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe you've been sitting with one foot ready to step and you're just waiting. If you're unsure about that, listen to one of my favorite verses. found just a few chapters before this story of Peter's redemption. Listen to this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him and the writer of the passage that we read today tells us the story of peter to remind us of this to give us an illustration that even broken ordinary peter can receive the grace of god be saved through him not condemned on that beach but saved by jesus there And he would go on, he would share the good news of Jesus. And he would form a part of the early church that would make such an impact in his world. And the same is true of you. Jesus is offering an invitation to you today to follow him, to receive his grace and his mercy. Not to condemn you for stepping back or for waiting or for whatever you've done in your life that is causing you to pause from following. But Jesus is reaching out his hand saying, Come and follow me, friend. Come and follow me. Come and be a part of his church, of the gathering of his people. And come see what he can do in and through your life and in and through all of us as we follow him. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the words of the author who wrote that tweet that spurred us to look at this today, for the story that we find about Peter, but for the reality. These scriptures written about these broken, ordinary people mirror so much of our own lives. God, help us to recognize your love for each and every one of us. And what you want to do in and through us as we accept your love and choose to follow you. Today, as that invitation extends, may those who are waiting take that step in this moment, saying, God, I choose to follow you with my life. Father, give them the grace and the mercy, the strength. Surround them. With those who have chosen to follow and encourage them along the way and help us as the church to continue to lead others to Jesus. That that is the mission you have given us in this community, in this city, in this world. It's your name that we pray today. Amen.